Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Courtney. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Hi, I'm Courtney. Well, we begin today's broadcast with some very unfortunate news. News that here at the Magnolia Media Network we simply just can't ignore. The death of Russian dissident Alexei Navalny. Now, Alexei Navalny had been, well, a martyr of sorts in Russia for quite some time, being sentenced to prison back in 2021 for 30 years. He finally passed away, surprisingly it took this long, and was murdered by the Russian government. I think there's little doubt that an otherwise completely healthy 40-year-old man just suddenly collapses on a walk. At least that's the line being fed to us by Russian state media, which of course can't be trusted. The Russian government is also denying his family access to his body. There is little doubt that either the Russians at Putin's behests are damaging his corpse so much that an independent doctor could not perform a proper autopsy or they never intend to return it at all. All of this while Putin's minions here in the U.S. Congress, that's the House and the Senate, won't pass funding for Ukraine. Ukraine is now limiting ammo and is running out of ammunition for their machine guns. So we're not talking about just the big artillery shells, of which they had millions at one point, we're talking about regular ammunition for their weapons, for their guns. But wait, there's more. As the U.S. flirts with fascism, like the one in Russia, we too will have martyrs like Navalny. Someone in this big country of ours will die fighting to restore America to the place it is today. Today, we join a chorus of voices who hope to see our president, Joe Biden, use the $360 billion seized from Russia, unilaterally given to the Ukrainians, so they can finally break Russia's back and end the era of tyranny created by Vladimir Putin. For reasons previously articulated, Republicans, aka the American Fascist Party, are prepared to hand Europe and European countries over to Russia because uh, they owe Putin for their current jobs in the House and Senate. Biden must get furious toward them during the State of the Union address. He absolutely has to go after them and stop with the fantasies that somehow, some way, someday, they're going to come around and be something other than just uh, cronies of Donald Trump. Especially after killing the border slash Ukraine slash Israel funding deal just a week ago. Now, on to Trump. Trump last week said he'd allow Russia to do whatever they wanted to our European allies, even those in NATO, if re-elected. He's trying to 
walked that back since making those ridiculous statements, but he made it and we had better believe him. We're now getting into the time of year where people are really starting to pay attention to politics because being a politics junkie or a news junkie is exhausting. It's kind of like a full-time job when Americans already have full-time jobs and have been dealing with everything from ridiculous house prices to inflation, which, by the way, has come down at twice the rate at which it went up. And like we mentioned before, the positive economic news also shows that wage growth is now outpacing inflation by almost two full percentage points. We also have a final ruling from Judge Arthur Ingeron, a ruling we've been waiting on for almost two months while he calculated the amount of damage Donald Trump and the Trump Organization had done to the state of New York. The final ruling was $364 million. Now, $355 million of that is to come directly from Donald Trump. $4 million for each of his sons, that's $8 million, and $1 million from former CFO Alan Weisselberg. So the Trump kids in trouble on this one this time around, paying $4 million apiece. And by the way, that uh, $355 million, well, there's interest on that. All the interest accrued during the trial and in the time it took Judge Arthur Ingeron to come up with that number. So this is likely to be between 420 and $450 million that Trump will have to come up with in order to appeal this case. And he has 30 days starting earlier this past week. Not an enviable position to be in, especially when you still have to raise the $83.3 million in the E. Jean Carroll case part two, where he simply couldn't keep his mouth shut. Turns out $83.3 million was just enough to do it. At least he hasn't mentioned Miss Carroll anymore. Oh, and the $5 million from the previous judgment, making that a total of $88.4 million. And that's not to mention, again, the 400 to $425 million they held owe the New York State AG's office. And all of this will have to be put either into a bond, and I don't imagine anybody giving Trump a bond, considering his record of actually paying his bills. If we remember, there was a Polish coalition that had to get together and sue Trump in a civil case years ago because after helping build Trump Tower, he just decided to stiff them and not pay them at all. So I don't imagine he's going to find a bond. And considering that, he's going to have to come up with all, well, let's call it $500 million in order to appeal the cases he has before him now. But those were all civil cases, and civil cases don't stick in the public imagination the way a criminal trial does. So we have more good news for you. On March 25th in New York City, the district attorney Alvin Bragg's case against Donald Trump will commence when their tactics, that is Trump's lawyer's tactics, to draw this thing out started, Judge Juan Marchand 
had them in his chambers, allowed them to begin their argument, and 10 minutes later told them he would see them on March 25th. That's when they will start selecting jurors for the case, which is expected to take between four and five weeks. So if the Supreme Court gets its shit together by then and finally rules with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals or just declines to hear the case altogether, kicking it back to the Court of Appeals, we should be able to get underway in early summer to late spring in the D.C. January 6th trial. And that'll be the one where Trump is facing hundreds of years in prison on just four charges. The Supreme Court has no business taking this case and will look extremely prejudicial if they do. They've already bent over backward to do everything they can for him because he was corruptly able to appoint three Supreme Court justices, even with the so-called Biden rule in place, the excuse Mitch McConnell used for not replacing Judge Antonin Scalia, who died in February of 2016, a full year before the end of Barack Obama's term. But that's politics in Washington, D.C. today. If there's one thing we can count on the Republican Party to do, it's absolutely fucking nothing because that's what they've done since taking control. I mean, we have a historic, a historically bad Congress, a Congress that has accomplished exactly zilch, nothing since they've been in power. So why give them power? We just saw in the special election to replace the lying, hateful moron in George Santos, we just saw another MAGA Republican try to run in a uh, purplish district on Long Island, not New York City, come within a few points of making a real fight out of it. But she, like George Santos, well, got up in front of people and told lie after lie after lie. And finally, longtime Democratic Congressman Tom Swasey pulls out a victory. So if they were looking for signs of what will happen in November prior to the election in Long Island. That's all we heard is it'll spell bad news for one party or the other, depending on who wins. Then Tom Swasey wins, and suddenly it means nothing for 2024. Just ignore it altogether, as we really don't have any liberal media in this country. I don't care how many times Donald Trump calls the media liberal. It is not. Somewhere up the food chain, somewhere up the economic ladder, in each one of these news outlets, there's a right-winger sitting on the board that simply won't allow it to happen. And that's the difference between us and them. While at this point, we don't have reporters in the field actually cultivating their own stories, which we will hopefully have in the future, we do openly accept that we are a left-leaning, if not outright liberal network. Now, some progressive policies may be a bit much for me, but there's there are minor differences between what it is to be a progressive and what it is to be a liberal, what it is to be a mainstream Democrat. We also had conservative Democrats, but the last one of those has finally bit the dust as Joe Manchin has announced he will not be running 
as the vice presidential candidate in the No Labels Party. It's ridiculous. They're not even on the ballot in most states, and it looks like they've run out of time to actually field any candidates, as Larry Hogan, their choice for president, is running for the Senate seat in Maryland, which will cost a lot of money, and he will eventually lose it, despite having been a two-term governor in the state of Maryland. Larry Hogan, another MAGA extremist in disguise. Another man who will fall right into line if elected to the Senate and become just another Republican fascist. So, having said all of that, we absolutely must make sure Democrats win up and down the ballot in November. And that's part of the reason we started this network, to inform voters, especially in one of the most uh, closed off regions in the country, one of the reddest regions of the country, we decided to put this little media network together, this little podcast at the moment. And like I said, over the summer, we hope to expand out our network to more and more reporters. So having said all of that, we turn to our co-host, Courtney Halstead, for her analysis on what's going on in the world today. Uh, first of all, your thoughts on uh, the Russia situation, both in Ukraine and the death of Alexei Navalny. Awesome. Thanks, John. Um, as far as uh, Alexei Navalny's death, uh, I, I mean, he's extremely brave for going back to Russia um, in the first place. Like you said, he's probably one of the bravest men alive. Nobody would willingly walk in there knowing that he's probably not coming back out. Um, so it's really no surprise to anybody that he um, died or, as we should probably say, was murdered uh, by Putin and Associates. Um, that's pretty much like unden an undeniable fact, whether or not they want to admit it, that he was in fact murdered. Um, as far as Ukraine and Russia is concerned, I think we are really falling behind as a country that should be leading the rest of the world. I think we're really falling behind showing that we're no longer supporting Ukraine. Uh, we're not giving them any more missiles or ammunition. We're, we've just kind of left them to their own devices. And I think that reflects very poorly on us as a country as a whole. I do too. But I think that it has to be put in context like everything else. Um, Ukraine, you can make an argument at least, that Ukraine was winning this war. They were even sending drones into Moscow hundreds and hundreds of miles away before Republicans took control of the House. And, you know, they, they took control on the idea that they were going to reduce inflation and they were going to, they've passed, not, not a single piece of legislation has been passed since they've been there. Nothing that, that, they, that has been sponsored in the House has made it out of the House, meaning it hasn't even been entertained by the United States Senate or the President. And so it's really Russia's minions and those who, uh, you know, support Vladimir Putin more than they support Joe Biden who have prevented this aid from getting out in the first place. Oh, and I think that it's another reason to not particularly like 
downright hate the Republican Party is because it is entirely their fault with uh, Russia and Ukraine for our aid no longer going to Ukraine. However, it's reflecting poorly on the country as a whole and on our government when it's not necessarily their fault. So I do think people need to take that into consideration of mm-hmm. like who's really at fault when it comes to this. If you're in favor of the Ukraine war, of us supporting them, um, and you're conservative-leaning, you kind of need to reevaluate what you're thinking. Well, that was a conservative position for so long, was being strong on the world stage. If you think back to the H.W. Bush years, it was all about foreign policy. You know, uh, Republicans wanted to, you know, portray strength on the world stage, and now they look well, they look like chicken shit. They look like cowards. And frankly, they look like they owe something to Vladimir Putin, which we know Donald Trump does. We, he, he owes him for 2016. Um, As an American in general, that's infuriating. And that should be infuriating mm-hmm. to everything. We should owe nothing to another country, especially one like Russia. Yep. And you got Tucker Carlson over there trying to advertise the place as the next uh, you know, destination for you know, right-wingers to go visit, um, you know, claiming that, you know, everything's cheaper in the grocery stores. That's, I don't think... But isn't the place a shithole? Yeah, I mean, the the country forgets that, you know, half of people under the age of 21 are unemployed, that, you know, inflation is, is, you know, through the roof. He also forgets that when he, you know, points out the prices of things in grocery stores, first of all, that's in ruples. Uh, and I think it's 10 ruples to make one U.S. quarter, by the way, Tucker. Um, you're, you've been mocked and made fun of by uh, Vladimir Putin and your little, you know, presser that you got to do with him. Um, it's, it's a humiliation from top to bottom. And again, we've got Ron Johnson, who in 2019 spent July 4th, the proudest day in American history. He spent July 4th in Moscow. And political landscape aside, I mean, the weather sucks. I've heard the cities are dirty. Like, <laughs> I really haven't heard anything great about Russia unless you're like out in the wilderness. Yeah, well, I mean, they've, they've got the, the, the ballet. They have elegantly designed buildings in certain parts of, of St. Petersburg and Moscow. You know, there were some images taken from train depots that don't look anything like New York subways. You know, when you rule a country with iron fists, the way Vladimir Putin does and, you know, has people poisoned with Novichok. You know, you're careful about destroying public property or, you know, things of that nature, which are which are just things we have to deal with in a free society. You know, the fact that, oh, well, it might be the, the subway might be dirtier in New York than it is in, in Moscow. But, you know, at, at least in New York, you're, when you resurface from the underground, you're still free. I mean, you think that would be important, don't you, Tucker? But, you know, Tucker Swanson Carlson has never known a day when life hasn't, you know, been full of golden chandeliers and golden showers. I'm not, I don't know about the golden showers part, but the golden chandeliers for sure, since he, you know, was raised in a, a Swanson and, you know, and uh, has, has always either been a, a mega millionaire or close to a billionaire on his own right. So I take everything that comes out of Russia with a grain of salt because it's all been filtered through Russian media, including where, you know, they took the Tucker interview, edited it down to make Tucker look stupid. 
I mean, it, it, he's still there. You know, I don't know if he's come home yet or not. I wish they'd keep him and let the American journalist who works for the Washington Post go and, and let him take his place in, instead, since supposedly now he's a journalist. He wasn't a journalist in court, if you remember. He was, he was an opinion host, and so he was able to hide behind the First Amendment. But now, all of a sudden, he's a journalist again who's going to Russia to get us some real information and some real facts, even while they laugh at you to your face. Tucker Carlson is, I mean... I mean, he was fired from Fox as a scapegoat. He is literally, like, the most kind of despised person in television. He was fired. Let's get everything. Let's get it straight. Tucker Carlson was fired from NBC. Then he was fired from CNN. Then he was fired from MSNBC. Then he was fired from CNN again. Then he was fired from Fox News, despite being their most watched host, uh, opinion host, since we can't call it journal. We can't call anything that happens at Fox News journalism except when they report on the state of the economy, um, unless they try to give Trump credit for Biden's economy. The only thing they could give Trump credit for is allowing uh, a plague to spread around the country um, and kill 1.1 million Americans before our, a real adult got in there and straightened things up, and Joe Biden, of course. So anyway, moving on from Russia, getting past uh, the, the tragedy that is Alexei Navalny's death um, and the, the tragedy that is the lack of funding for Ukraine, um, we spoke about uh, Trump's little fascist uh, mob he has there in the House stopping anything from happening. Well, now Trump has been hit with a $364 million judgment by Judge Arthur Ingeron, which is something we've been waiting on for like a month since that trial. Took months, it was very technical and in the weeds. Trump started off with a default judgment against him, so it was just a matter of figuring out how much to disgorge from Trump. It's at $355 million plus $4 million for each of his two sons and $1 million for... Um, Alan, Alan, Alan Weiselberg, Weiselberg um, and, and the former chief financial officer of the Trump organization. So Alan Weiselberg owes a million. That's eight million between the two boys and the sum, 355 million in, for Donald Trump, which he has 30 days to put down in either a bond or in cash or it stands and he owes the three, it'll be disgorged from him. So he's going to have to find $355 million plus $83 million from the E. Jean Carroll case, plus the interest that will be carried over on his $355 million judgment, which really makes it more like $425 million. So if there's any hope of having that amount decreased, he'll have to come up, in, in both cases, he'll have to come up with the total amount. So that's $83 million plus a certain percentage um, in order to appeal the E. Jean Carroll 2 case. He's already paid the $5 million necessary in the E. Jean Carroll 1 case, which we're still waiting on an appeal for it. And then he'll have to come up, yes, again, the clock's already started on the 30 days to come up with the $355 million he'll have to pay to New York State 
uh, so they can hold it while he appeals. That's so when he loses on appeal, the state is able to get their money immediately. Or in E. Jean Carroll's case, she'll be able to get her $83 million right then and there. That's why it's required. Now, not counting Trump, because we at this point we know he's not going to be able to pay it. They're just going to end up disgorging his assets sooner rather than later. But as far as Eric and Don Jr. and his CFO, uh, do they have to come up with the whole $355 million, or can they only come up with the $4 million and appeal it? Themselves? I'm assuming, I'm not an attorney on this, that they'll probably just pay the $4 million each and move on. The two boys will. And, of course, Alan Weisselberg... Um, had admitted to committing perjury in the last week or so before this judgment came out. So that's probably what got him reduced to $1 million instead of a much larger number. So I, I, I Matt, Alan Weisselberg's got a $1 million, I'm sure, lying around. He had, I think, $1.6 million that he already had to pay. When uh, you know he's small fish anyway. They're I mean, really yeah, Alan Weisselberg was, they just, they, and I think the information he provided. Judge Ingeron helped him come to that $355 million number because the state was asking for 370 But again, this is 355 plus, you know, heavy interest and penalties, which lands somewhere between 400 and $450 million. Some people are saying as high as $450 million. It is a good thing that he only has 30 days for appeal, though, because in order for him to appeal, he'll have to have that money. So then they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about waiting around for it. No. Yeah, either you know, come up with it in 30 days or get a bond, which means you'd only have to pay 10% of it down. But we're and pretty some, certain that's pri- not And some happen. private bond company is going to hold the other 300 whatever million no, I don't. Given his record of not paying lawyers, contractors, employees, I don't think there's there's any chance he's going to find someone to hold that bond. He hasn't found anyone to hold the bond on the E. Jean Carroll case. And I don't think he has many friends left in high places to lean on for money. No, I mean he he's pretty much run. I mean there was Deutsche Bank, and I think Deutsche Bank is is under investigation. Plus, the, here's another beautiful thing about the the Trump. Uh, financial cases. The financial monitor, who is a former federal judge, Barbara Lee, is going to be left in place. I'm sorry, Barbara Lee is going to be left in place for the next two years to monitor everything that goes in and out of the Trump organization. So no no fishy money, no, no Saudi money coming to save Donald Trump. It won't be allowed because you've got... Uh, that former judge there acting as a financial monitor. But that isn't the best legal news to come out of Trump land over the last few days. I think uh, the decision by Judge uh, Juan Mershon in New York City in the district attorney's hush money payment case, the Stormy Daniels case, if you can't remember that far back considering the litany of legal problems Donald Trump has had, in the past year or so, is set to start on March 25th and will begin on March 25th. And that is a criminal case that could could cost Donald Trump some time in state prison. And it's not something that even if another Republican was to be elected, or even if Joe Biden just decided out of the clear blue sky, you know what, I want to pardon Donald Trump. Wouldn't do you a damn bit of good. 
because this is New York State, not the federal government, where the president has no pardon power in the state. So he could be pardoned for, say, the January 6th case in D.C. or the documents case in Florida, but there's nothing he could do uh, about this in New York State or in New York City, rather. So if everything goes as according to schedule, we should be looking at the D.C. federal case about mm, end of summer. Well, it can't have you know, it would be the, about the beginning of summer because the only thing we that case was slated to start on March the 4th. This case, that case got paused while the Supreme Court considers what to do. Um, everything there is on pause while they await the Supreme Court's decision that there'll be no decision. Um, that's essentially just a, a time waster for Donald Trump. It's what he's done his entire career is just kill time. It's, I don't think he's ever been up against a client who has the uh, money, time, and resources of the federal government. Well, and it seems like most judges are kind of wising up to his antics, especially with trying to postpone things, because it looks like a lot of them, Judge Ingeron, are really putting their foot down about extending and asking for uh, extensions and motions and whatnot. Like when they asked uh, Judge Juan Marchand for, you know, uh, an opportunity to fully brief him on their request, you know, to postpone all of this. And he let them talk for a few minutes. And uh, I think it was 10 minutes he considered and said he'll see you uh, March 25th. So <laughs> Judge Brashan has definitely been watching the news, realized these d- delay tactics and said, look, okay, we were originally slated for trial on March 25th. We were going to step out of the way of the federal district court and let the feds go first. But now that the feds aren't going at all, well, then we're going March 25th. Is anybody like to say anything about that? Trump lawyer stands up, starts, you know, go reading through reasons why it can't happen on March 25th. And Judge Ingeron waited about 10 minutes and said, see you on March 25th. <laughs> so, uh, you know, good for Judge Marchand. Um, he's, he seems to uh, have control over his own courtroom. And, you know, the, it's on Alvin Bragg now to provide us with a case so airtight that, that, that Trump's found guilty. I will admit this is in lower Manhattan. So the odds of getting a diehard Trumper uh, through is going to be, well, it's going to be very, very difficult uh, considering lower Manhattan is a liberal bastion if ever there was one in the United States, I don't, I'm not sure. Although they say that it's even more likely in Fulton County, Georgia, that Fulton County, Georgia is actually more blue than lower Manhattan. So, uh, and that case could technically come first or come before the uh, federal case in, in DC, depending on what happens with the Supreme Court. And that's that's a huge RICO trial that would go on for quite some time because he still has 14 co-defendants in that trial, in that case. One thing I don't still don't understand, uh, and, and it is infuriating, The I mean, anybody that hates Biden, say you're Republican and you absolutely loathe Biden, refuse to vote for him, I understand if that's how you want to feel. But how in any way, shape, or form can anybody back Trump? Like, I... As abhorrent as he is acting in these trials, he's not even taking his punishment like a grown-up. 
He's no. doing everything he can to get around it. Like how are how are people not ashamed by this? Ashamed. Well, if they weren't ashamed by the fact he's an adjudicated rapist, you know, in in E. Jean Carroll one, it was determined that he he both defamed E. Jean Carroll and with some technical language in there raped her. So he's a rapist. He's a tax cheat. He's a fraud. He's a failure. He cost them the 2018 election cycle. He's not a failure. He's a loser. He's a loser. Oh, that's right, because loser is the word Donald Trump is uh, frightened of. And he, he enjoyed this aura of invincibility, and that was the thing. Nothing ever sticks to me. I'm the Teflon Don. And then all of a sudden, shit just started sticking to him. You know, like that Rust-Oleum number 35 he sprays on every morning, you know, before he goes out the door. Wakes up at 4 a.m., you know, snorts his Adderall and... You know, it's it's off to the hairdresser or whatever the hell. I'm uh, sure he stands in the mirror and admires himself for a little while. I mean, my God, what is to I'm fully clothed? I would hope because admiring that without any clothes on, oh God, poor Stormy. You know, I'm glad Stormy only got a hundred thirty-five thousand dollars to lay under that fat weasel for you know what she said was two minutes. That's not enough. I mean, Karen McDougal got a hundred and sixty. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> that happened years earlier, so it wasn't a requirement that it be disclosed. Can you imagine the entire United States knowing you because you cannot get it on your own? You had to pay for it. 135 Gs. Yeah, for real. Yeah, 135. $135,000. And then you were just going to, you're so stupid. Even though you were running for president, you were just going to pay it as a company expense and it was actually Michael Cohen, the lawyer who he threw under the bus after the 2016 election, who is uh, going to be the person who, the basically the lead defense, uh, prosecution witness in this case, because he explained to Donald Trump how if we do that, it'll be in the clear light of day. People will know you paid you know, for this hooker. So he had Michael Cohen take out a line of credit against his home. Um, to pay Stormy Daniels in installments and then was paid back in, quote, legal fees um, at $35,000 a month. Um, I can't decide if I feel bad for people like Michael Cohen or not. Like, they got so screwed by Trump, but at the same time, they supported him for how long? Ten years. Cohen was with him for ten years. And I'm a big fan of the Midas Touch Network. It's one of the podcasts I listen to, one of the YouTube channels that I follow. I like the legal AF breakdown they do with Karen Friedman Agnifilo and Michael Popak. That's it's a really good series. But the 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 political beatdown with Michael Cohen, you know, Michael Cohen's a troubled witness. He lied to Congress and went to prison for it. Um, he worked for Donald Trump, like Courtney said, for ten years. He put up with that bullshit. So. He's not the most credible person in the world to me. Um, he looks kind of silly when he comes on, you know, the political beatdown, wearing boxing gloves and shit. Uh, you know, you're on there with Ben Mysalis, who is a, you know, a Georgetown educated attorney. And it, it all just looks sort of cheesy and Trumpish, like he got the, the Trump brain rot and he can't get rid of it no matter how much he hates the man. But yeah, he's a troubled, he's a troubled witness and a troubled guy. And like you said, I have mixed feelings about him too. I'm like, you're you're the bag of shit that helped this happen. You know, um, you may spend the rest of your life living it down, 
but um, there's no way around you know, having mixed feelings about. Right. And that's how I feel about most of Trump's, most, not all, most of Trump's allies. He's just brought so many people down with him. Mm-hmm. I think about Cassidy Hutchinson, that poor girl who almost got thrown under the bus and then at the last second decided to fire um, the Trump-appointed attorney who was representing her and instead, um, uh, you know, go out and get her own counsel Good for her. Huh? I said good for her. And then requested an opportunity to go back in front of the January 6th committee. And when she did, she told a whole other story and said, you know, the attorney representing me before basically prepared this script for me. But that's not what happened. Here's what really happened. And I'll be to hell with whatever happens to me. Um, I'm going to tell you the truth. Uh, Because she was headed towards being prosecuted for lying to Congress, too, until she came back and recanted. Same thing happened in the documents case. Um, there was another person who was going to be charged along with Walty Nada and the I, the uh, handyman or whatever the hell. Oh, Dioliveri. Dioliveri, I can't, I can't remember his first name at the moment. It, it skips my mind. Doesn't matter. Uh, another Trump lackey tried to get Usul Tavares, the IT man, who was in charge of IT um, at uh, Mar-a-Lago to erase the tapes of Walt D. Nada loading up boxes and boxes of classified information ahead of the FBI raid because they knew the FBI was coming to drive the stuff in a Ryder truck or a U-Haul or whatever the hell to Bedminster, New Jersey, where the rest of the documents were found. Usul Tavares said, no, 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 I, there's no, I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I couldn't do it if I wanted to. He totally could have. Usul Tavares knew better because he knew that it had already been subpoenaed and erasing it at this point, at that point, would have put him in the crosshairs of the DOJ. Then he goes and lies to the court because he's being coached by a Trump attorney fires the Trump attorney, hires his own, comes back to court and tells the truth. And the truth, ooh, the truth is nasty truth. Are they going after those people who are coming back and recanting their stories? I mean, essentially, they did commit perjury in the first they, place. Yeah. Now, Usul Tavares is being given a pass because he's such a useful witness. He also realizes he has enormous leverage. So does Cassidy Hutchinson because when January 6th was going down, she was literally in the Oval Office. She was, uh, I believe she was aide to his uh, chief of staff. So she was the chief of staff to the chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And, you know, was really a true young up-and-coming Republican. I think she was 25 when it happened. So it's a hell of a position for a 25-year-old to be And in. that's going to follow her for life. Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Cassidy has already you know, gotten herself a, a pretty good job um, and is doing well for herself. But yeah, it's something that I'm sure, you know, she probably had to move multiple times the way Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss did when Rudy Giuliani, you know, went after them. Rudy Colludi, who is just in awful shape. I mean, Rudy Giuliani, once upon a time, America's mayor, even back then, I was 17 going, I don't, 
This this guy kind of he's got a snake oil salesman vibe to he him. He does. The first time I saw him on TV, and then it only made it worse when I saw him in Borat. He just seems oh, like a Borat. sleazy person. Oh, Sasha Baron Cohen absolutely buried Rudy Giuliani as far as his reputation was concerned. When he's you know, I guess trying to get that tiny thing hard. Um, you know, you can see it in the mirror as he's like playing with himself as she. You know, uh, just taking her earrings or whatever off. And then, of course, Sasha Baron Cohen comes in and promises him that his back vagine is Maybe very you should tight. explain the situation that she was underage. The, yeah, that she was also depicting herself as a 16 or 17-year-old. Um, With the full knowledge of Kazakhstani. Yeah, and so she had told Rudy that um, if you haven't seen the film, that one... I don't know, 10 minute splice of the film is worth the entire film because then you've got Sasha Barra Cohen at CPAC conference dressed as Donald Trump with a woman thrown over his shoulder. Um, and he shows up while Trump is speaking and offers her to, was it, no, it was to Mike Pence. Yeah, Mike Pence. And offers her to Mike Pence as if, you can, you know, give women away because I guess in Kazakhstan, they still do that. Um, then uh, he got the interview with Rudy Giuliani where I, my favorite part is once the girl's been pulled out, she's now safe. You know, she can't be sexually assaulted by this old man who was just playing with his little ding dong a few seconds earlier before Sasha Baron Cohen comes in in a onesie Right, a one piece that barely covers his meat and potatoes <laughs> and is a thong in the back. And he's telling him that it's been a long time since he was in a Kazakhstani prison and his back vagine, <laughs> his way of saying vagina in the film, uh, has had a chance to tighten back up. <laughs> and for those of you. <laughs> Who are saying that this is just a movie. Mm. Oh, it's a you, documentary. It is not just a movie yeah. because you got to think, nobody in their right mind like Mike Pence and Rudy Giuliani are going to put themselves in that kind of position intentionally. So think about that. Maybe not Mike Pence. Mike Pence wouldn't. Rudy couldn't wait. Like Rudy saw this kid, girl. But he didn't realize he was being filmed no, is what I mean. No, he didn't really wait. Well, filmed, yeah, but not Not like that. By, yeah, not in a hotel room with like 80 cameras in it. Um, you know, Sasha took some extraordinary risks. He hid in a closet for five hours while CPAC went on. Um, and he got himself dressed up as I'm going to stop John there because he has a habit of liking to, uh, over explain movies. But for those of you that haven't seen it, go watch it. It is amazing. Oh my goodness. It is a phenomenal movie in general. Sasha Baron Cohen is a genius. His back by Gene has had a chance to tighten up. (laughs) And it really does have some eye-opening scenes about America and our government in general. I mean, these are not staged scenes. These are, these are real people with real responses and real reactions. Yeah. So yeah. yes, if you have not seen it, go watch it. It's a, it, it's it's an excellent satire on American culture and the really fucked up parts of American culture too. Um, beyond politics, you know, sometimes it's political issues, but it's it's not just Rudy Giuliani and Mike Pence the whole movie. It's 
it's a variety of different uh, hot button issues. He did it at a great time too because everybody knows his face now and if he tried to pull something like that nowadays, I'd actually be concerned for his safety. Well, the thing is is that he he still has a show. This is true. Yeah, Sasha has a show and you know, I don't know if he somehow disarms people, but you know, he'll have Nazis at a Trump rally you know, tell him who they forget is a Jew, you know, why they're there to eradicate Jews. And I guess it's lost on them that he is, in fact, you're speaking to a Jew. You know, you might be starstruck because he is, you know, a big time international star. Yeah, everybody knows him now. But, uh, yeah, and and, and that was the great idea about bringing in the young girl, um, or young woman, rather, um, is, you know, nobody knew who the hell she was. You know, she had never acted in anything that had ever been shown in the United States um, and uh, was obviously extremely talented, you know, to play that role the way she did, straight-faced and not lose it, you know, especially with, with Sasha there. But um, There were some scenes, and there, there was a scene where they're in the Deep South, and she is a female, so... Let's keep that in mind, as that also is quite a hilarious scene. Oh, there's, yeah, there's quite a few of them uh, involving her. I mean, he tries to get sell her or trade her or give her away and things of that nature. But it's, yeah, so we started today's uh, read with, uh, you know, the, the death of Alexei Navalny, and we ended it laughing about uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's back vagine being quite <laughs> tight. That pretty much sums up our podcast. Yeah, that's that's our podcast. So when you're when you're looking for just you know general liberal entertainment, we won't both side you because one thing you won't hear on the Magnolia Media Network is well Republicans would say that President Biden's too old while they're running a seventy eight year old fascist madman. I think that's what people forget is eighty one and seventy seven. I think he's technically that's not that far apart. And one of them's very clearly in better shape than the other. I mean, when you take obesity, um, lifestyle, dementia, dementia, narcissism, the fact the man doesn't know what city, state, town or country he's in. um, And you say, well, that one time Joe Biden accidentally called the president of Mexico the president of Egypt. It's probably because Egypt is helping to manage the war that has started between Gaza, uh, Hamas, Hamas, and Israel. And and so uh, President Abdul Sisi is on his mind. And like anybody, you're talking about world leaders, suddenly somebody throws the border in there you know, to discuss that sort of non-issue issue, an issue that's sort of cultivated by the Republican Party. And you take that non-issue and you ask him about that non-issue and he accidentally says Mexican President Assisi. Because, well, I mean, like any normal person, he's thinking about Abdul Assisi, the man who's much more important at that moment than, you know, uh, Juan Lobador, or however you say it. I mean, the fact he just can pull the president of Egypt's name out of thin air, I mean, that's not something I knew. Like, well, mad respect for him to just be able to do that anyway. Well, and, and, and then you've got Donald Trump's favorite, uh, you know, authoritarian in Europe. He can't uh, even tell the difference between Pelosi and Haley. No, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. He must have said Nikki Haley didn't secure the House of Representatives uh, at least a half a dozen times. 
um, and never corrected himself, by the way, and he was talking about Nancy Pelosi, or the uh, Victor Orban is apparently not the uh, president of Hungary. He is the president of Turkey. Um, I imagine the president of Turkey is rather asshurt about that, um, especially to be compared to a moron and madman like Viktor Orban. Um, but yeah, so we started uh, on a solemn note. It, it got progressively better as we're starting to find out now that you know we will have a Trump criminal trial on March 25th. Uh, it, it'll likely be televised. It can be televised because it's state court. It depends on what Judge uh, Juan Mershon says. Um, I think Alvin Bragg knows he has an airtight case or he wouldn't have brought it over a year ago. And then we're waiting to see what happens with the Supreme Court. Um, anything to add? No, we're good over here. Okay. Well, uh, from all of us here at the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network, by the way, we do have a Patreon. Uh, we appreciate all the help we can get. Uh, if you want to keep hearing this truly liberal commentary from one of the reddest parts of the United States, if you want us to keep doing this, then please consider giving to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Magnolia Media Network. That's why we keep Courtney around. Uh, just look for the little Magnolia Avenue. Yeah, street just see sign. The, when you see the Magnolia Avenue street sign, like our album cover um, on any of the podcast links, any of the podcast channels you might use, uh, you, that's it's the same one. So from all of us here at the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network, I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, with my co-host... Courtney. Courtney Halstead. She doesn't... She just... Courtney? Courtney? Until next time, be well. Be well.